0: Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast.
1: Wisconsin voters.
0: Tonight's headline is
1: Huge Turnout Are Charged Up.
0: You all left it all on the
1: field, and I could not be more proud. Politicians.
2: Mike Gailman is an embarrassment to Wisconsin,
1: are fired up. We're going to fight like hell. We're never going to give up. More than a million Badger State voters turned out for a partisan primary that sets the stage for November.
2: I'm here to say the American dream is still alive.
1: When the Badger State will take center stage in a high-stakes battle that could shift the balance of power in America. Welcome Fox 6 Studios. This is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson, and we are joined this week by Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi. Hi, Jason. Hey, Brian. We also have executive producer Sarah Smith on the line. How's it going, Sarah? <laughs> I'm on the line. Hello. On the line, like, you know, party line old days.
0: Brian, let me just say that cold open was read with such a perfect anchor voice that, like, it was... <laughs> Powerful. I, I wanted
1: you to I wanted you to feel that loved deep it. inside. Loved it. We are we are recording this powerful episode on Thursday, August eleventh. And as the dust settles on this week's primary election, we now have a clearer picture not only of what's at stake in November here in Wisconsin, but who the two major parties will have on the ballot in big races like US Senator, Governor, Attorney General and more, Jason. I always call it your Super Bowl because you're following politics throughout the year, and then we have these just crescendos to the big night. And primaries aren't always
2: such a big night, but this was obviously a big one, and a lot of people turned out. That's right, and and you know, you say it's the Super Bowl. We get a couple of these a year because we have our uh, we have our uh, spring, which is February primary, our April uh, nonpartisan election, then we have our our November uh, 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 election, as well as the preceding uh, August uh, partisan primary. So we get about four okay, of these, so, e- we get about Super so Bowls a year. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're playoff
1: games. The Super Bowl, probably long, like president presidential year, November. Okay. But what are your biggest takeaways from from this primary election Tuesday night?
2: Well, you had mentioned it right off the top that people are really fired up. I mean, this was the largest turnout for, uh, for an August primary in my lifetime in you know 40 years we haven't had this this many people turn out for a partisan primary we had uh, 25.5% of uh, of the voters turn out to, to vote um okay 25.5 it, it, it's it, it's the largest we've had in 40 years but still it just shows it's still not i mean it's not going to be nearly what we're going to see for a, a presidential election so these august primaries tend to be Lower voter turnout than than an election year, Um, and 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 so what happens here is uh, we you know it's the party faithfuls, the democrat the party faithfuls uh, on the Democratic side and the Republican side are the ones that are most fired up, most interested in politics are the ones that are casting their votes. Uh, for their nominees to face off in in November, so yeah, the the turnout was was large. We saw uh, both on the Republican side, we you know obviously they had a, a contested race all the way through Election Day, so there was a lot more turnout of for the for the Republicans. Uh, Democrats was going to be a really contested uh, race for for U.S. Senate primary, but at the end of the day, uh, two weeks before the primary. The top contenders besides Mandela Barnes all dropped out. We had Tom Nelson drop out. We had Alex Lazary, the Bucks exec. He dropped out. Uh, Sarah Godlewski, the state treasurer, Democrat, also dropped out. All three of them were in the running, spending millions of dollars. uh, And then two weeks before they said, oh, yeah, I'm out. We're out. And then it left the field open for really a coronation for
0: Mandela Barnes on on Tuesday night. So we uh, back to voter turnout really quick, because I think obviously the 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 higher number of people that turned out on Tuesday, obviously indicative that people care. um, But I mean, do you think there's any what do you think prompted people to get out there? Do you think they truly care about these races? Is it a policy thing? Is it post pandemic? They care what happens next kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, I've heard a lot of different reasons for why people were getting involved in politics. I think, you know, the the pandemic, You're you're right, that did fire a lot of people up. On on both sides, um, you know, seeing just how clearly politics impacted their daily lives, um, and 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 you know, pe- people got really involved with school boards and, and following because they were watching. Maybe the, the the children were at home for homeschool, you know, studying at home uh, with with the virtual learning, I should say, and uh, they were they were kind of taking more interest in what was being taught in the classrooms. And so there's been this, you know, the pandemic really kind of stirred up the pot for for people to get a lot more interested in politics I've seen. And, and uh, so that's part of what was at play here. I think just the fact that uh, there's just, there's the competing visions. I mean, on the Republican side, there's competing visions for the future of the Republican party and, and what vision that is going to take. Uh, it's a it's a debate in a fight that divided the former Trump administration. We saw uh, former President Donald Trump backing Tim Michaels for the Republican nomination. We saw former Vice President Mike Pence backing Rebecca Clayfish for the nomination. And you see that split really dividing the state. And I think there was there was a ton of ads for this race as well as the Senate races up until the candidates started dropping out. But, uh, you know, I think people really were seeing the fact that their vote was going to make a difference. and really. When we saw, we saw two polls come out uh, since this past weekend uh, predicting what was going to happen in the Republican primary. And those polls were really neck and neck. Clayfish and Michaels were in a dead heat. Uh, And so I think voters said, you know, my vote, our votes are really going to make a difference in this race. Let's let's go out and and make sure our voices were heard. But still, at the end of the day, 25 percent voted. So uh, 25.5 percent. So it's not it's not everybody's taking a uh, stand here, but uh, but it is the largest in 40 years um, with about six hundred and ninety three thousand Republicans ballots cast for governor. Um, Just to compare that with the 2018, you may remember that was the Senate primary between Leah Vukmir and Kevin Nicholson. And in that one, it was what, about two, it was about uh, 444,000. It's
1: a big increase. You know, what what strikes me, Jason, is primaries are so different from general elections, especially in Wisconsin, where we have an open primary. So you've got to pick a party when you get into that ballot box. But it doesn't matter what party you are. You could be someone who identifies as a Democrat and say, I want to get in there and pick who my candidate's going to be up against, so I could go vote on the Republican side. We do that crossover. Sometimes there's sort of like people who just aren't sure where they fit. So there's a better race on the one side. I'm gonna. I want to be uh, involved in that race because people want their to feel like their vote makes a difference. But then. There's that, as Mordecai Lee put it when we were talking on on our digital coverage Tuesday night, there's that malicious crossover vote that you sometimes hear about where someone from uh, one party says, I'm going to jump on the other side and kind of try to disrupt things. Uh, It doesn't seem like we necessarily saw a lot of that. I say that because while the Republican race for governor clearly was neck and neck and had all the reason for people to get involved, that since the primary sort of the key race on the Democrat side sort of turned into a coronation for Mandela Barnes, you would think if there was going to be malicious crossover, well, a lot of people would have just jumped to the Republican side, and yet you still had half a million people vote in the Democrat primary.
2: Right. You know, this malicious intent, the the, the voter who might cross over because they want to vote for who they perceive to be the weaker candidate. When I talked to Democrats and, I, and I, I made several, you know, phone calls, I was asking people, you know, do you think this is going to be an issue? And they... They they really didn't see one of the two leading candidates on the Republican side as a weaker option. So you've got you've got Rebecca Clayfish, the former lieutenant governor, um, you know, uh, for eight years under the uh, under Governor Scott Walker. You have Tim Michaels, the businessman for the largest uh, co owner of the largest construction company uh, in the state. Um, when I talked to Democrats, I didn't get a sense that either one of them would be an easier candidate. For that for governor evers to beat so if they were going to cross over to vote for what they perceived to be a weaker candidate there was really a big debate amongst democrats if there was even a queer uh person that would be the weaker candidate other than uh potentially Tim Rampton, but his polling numbers were, were so much lower. I mean, if Tim Rampton won the nomination, that would have been incredible because he was he was polling in the single digits for all of the pre-voting uh, polls that we saw. So I, their their crossover to Tim Rampton would have really not made a, a, a dent in, in the race. So I don't see them voting for Michaels or Clayfish other than if, um yeah, so I, I didn't get a sense that that was going, going to happen here, but maybe in some of the smaller local partisan races, if um, yeah. If, if there wasn't like, for example, when we were doing door knocks, uh, we went out with Adam Steen, um, who was the competitor to Speaker Robin Voss. He was that's the one race where I might have expected perhaps some malicious crossover. Yeah. So when we went door knocking with Adam Steen, um, we did one of the questions that he would ask. And this is how they determine, you know, when they come to your door, they say, hey, how are you? I'm, I'm running. I, I'm running for your vote. I'm hoping you'll vote for me in, in, in August. Uh just want to let you know, you know, in the past, and they might ask this question. You know, in the past, have you voted for, um, in in this part of the re, this part of the district where we were in the sixty third Assembly District, it, which is in Racine County, Union Grove, Burlington area? There was a new sliver of that district that had been added to that district that used to be represented by Tyler uh, August. And uh, so the way that Adam Steen would gauge whether or not they were a Demo- leaning Democrat or leaning Republican voter was he'd say, "Hey, in the past did you happen to vote for Tyler August? Uh, he's no longer a representative." And then the, if the answer was no, I hadn't voted for him, then that signaled to Steen that this was likely a Democratic, lean Democratic voter because they hadn't voted for the Republican in the past. Um, so long story short, if, if they were a lean Democrat, then uh, he might you know engage them a little bit more with, "Well, you know, I'm facing off against Speaker Voss. And what we saw in two of the- the, the visits were these people that hadn't voted for the Republican in the past definitely wanted to vote against Voss. Now, at the end of the day, it wasn't enough to capel, to uh, to catapult Steen into the assembly. I mean, he was facing off. He wasn't against, far from it. He wasn't far from it. I mean, it was the closest race of Speaker Voss's life here, and he nearly got toppled. I mean, he, the, this is the giant of the assembly. He's the most powerful Republican in state politics. He's been the longest serving Speaker of the Assembly uh, he's been serving that Racine district for 18 years, and he almost got toppled by this upstart new candidate from the right, more conservative. was saying that Voss was not conservative enough, and also was backed by former President Donald Trump. At the end of the day, that race was super close. At the end of the day, Speaker Voss will has won and will go back to the Assembly for uh, his 19th year.
0: Can we talk a little bit about maybe to the the Attorney General race, and so obviously the the incumbent, you know, Josh Call, Democratic you know we'll face up against Eric Tony in November so what what's at stake in that race and then you know the attorney general kind of what does it mean for the average person living in Wisconsin
2: we often will refer or they'll refer to themselves as the top cop uh, in the state this is the top prosecutor that he oversees the department of justice for the state they they handle all of these uh various lawsuits at the supreme court level when we're bat- when there's battles over drop boxes he'll he'll represent the administration so um the the when we're talking about the attorney general and the department of justice i mean we are talking about things that are going to impact all of our lives i mean this is a very crucial race um and and so for example i mean top of mind right now i think for a lot of people is Uh, abortion and and the United States Supreme Court reversing and overruling Roe v. Wade, which leaves then the states to figure out what their abortion laws are going to be. Well, Wisconsin had a pre-Roe v. Wade abortion ban on the books. It dates to 1849. And it says uh, no abortions in Wisconsin at all, except if it's done to save the life of the mother. Um, So that's the Wisconsin abortion ban that right now is on the books, which has led to uh, the states for abortion clinics no longer doing abortions in the states because uh, in the state because they are worried that uh, they could face uh, criminal charges here. It would be uh, felony charges for uh, for doing those abortions according to that 1849 abortion law. So Josh Call, the uh, current attorney general, he's a Democrat, and he says he is not going to enforce it. And not only will he not enforce it, but he has actually brought a lawsuit forward challenging if that if that law is enforceable. The, the couple arguments there is that the the law has been off the books for 50 years. Therefore it, you know how can it possibly be enforceable? And the second argument is the fact that in Wisconsin there have been a series of, uh, of laws that have been uh, enacted uh, since Roe v. Wade that allow for abortion. So there's a, a 20week abortion ban or i'm sorry a viability abortion ban on the state in wisconsin uh and so the question is well if you've got one law that allows abortions up to uh, viability and you have another one the 1849 one that's much older that doesn't allow any abortions at all except to save the life of the mother uh, josh call's argument is that newer law actually supersedes and over it, it overtakes the old law Uh, according to some legal principles that he lays out in that argument. So that's Josh Call's approach, definitely suing, definitely not wanting to enforce this law. Uh, Eric Toney, the Republican nominee who won a close race uh, on Tuesday, uh, he says he will enforce this law. It's the law of the land, this old abortion ban. So that's just one clear distinction between the two candidates and how it will impact people across the state. Um, There's going to be debates as well now, I, I believe, on gun control because the current attorney general josh calls supports background checks uh increased background checks he he uh, supports the red flag laws uh, just a little note on the red flag law what that is is uh, it would allow uh, a family member, a, a friend, to uh, to go to a judge, and there is a due process there. But uh, to go to a judge and say, "Hey, you know, we're really worried about uh, this relative. Um, he he or she's dealing with some very serious mental troubles right now. We're worried uh, they do own uh, guns, and we're we're worried that he or she may may want to use that to hurt somebody or themselves." Uh, the judge would then rule uh, a temporary restraining order to take away that person's gun. So that's how red flag laws work. Uh, In other states um, and Josh call would support that Eric Tony questions that and would not would not so these are some of the issues that the top cop in Wisconsin will be dealing with we also have seen. The crime level is really surging, uh, especially on homicides. When you look at homicides, for example, in Milwaukee, they've hit records since the pandemic. Every year, they've been hitting new records uh, since 2020. Um, And this year, we're on pace already to beat that record from last year. We've got 138 homicides uh, this year so far in the city of Milwaukee compare that with this time last year, it was 104. So you see, again, those numbers of homicides increasing. So the, the top cop, uh, the prosecutor in chief, uh, this this attorney general is going to uh, really have to to lay out arguments and and set uh, priorities for law enforcement across the state of Wisconsin. A couple of things I want to talk about on the, the two big races. Let's talk about U.S.
1: Senate, because while we know that uh, Mandela Barnes ultimately became the obvious choice when his The key opponents in the primary dropped out uh, late in the game. Um, Now the stage is set for Mandela Barnes versus incumbent Senator Ron Johnson. And we know this is not just a big deal here in the state of Wisconsin. This is something the nation is going to be watching. The eyes of politics all around the country are looking to Wisconsin. Why is this such an important race? And what do you expect in the next few months? How nasty is this going to get? How expensive is it going to get?
2: Oh, it's going to be very expensive. If if you... We're worn out by all the political ads the last two months, just get ready because you're gonna have all of these national groups, you're gonna have the national parties, you're gonna have um, both of the candidates on air all the time, nonstop, because this is seen as one of the most crucial battleground races in the entire country. Um, we've got a 50-50 Senate right now. Who is gonna control the United States Senate come this election, come next year? Uh, that is really for, voters in a handful of states to decide. And key among them is going to be what's going to happen right here in Wisconsin, where you see Ron Johnson, the Republican versus Mandela Barnes, the Democrat um, so so get ready. Tons of ads are going to be hitting your airways or probably already are. You're, you're seeing them on TV, on, on your social media, and and just get ready for a lot more attention to you, the Wisconsin voter, because your vote is super powerful nationwide. When you think about all of these big debates that happen in Washington, it, it comes down to the gridlock of a 50-50 Senate, the tie-breaking vote of the uh, potentially uh, of the vice president, but there is this 60 vote filibuster. So um, a lot of legislation is unable to move through the Senate because they have the 60 vote threshold, but they are able, there's a procedure where they are able to do reconciliation. It's a, anyway, long story short, it's a, it's a long procedural thing that they're able to do, which allows them to pass a few things with simple majority using budget reconciliation. Um, so they have been able to pass some of their groundbreaking, uh, the Democrats are groundbreaking legislation with 50, 50 votes with the, with, um, you know, of course it with a possibility of a tie break from the vice president and also when you have nominations and things like that it's also a simple majority so when you're thinking about um supreme court in the future and the control of the supreme court uh that 50th vote is going to be crucial uh so they want to pick this off ron johnson is the uh only republican up for re-election in a state that joe biden won in 2020 so uh when you're looking to who's going to win in 2022 um He's one that they see as one that they could potentially pick off. Um, This is going to be a race that's going to, you're going to hear the allegation from both sides uh, that the other candidate is too radical. So we're already seeing Republicans saying Mandela Barnes is too radical onto the left. And you're seeing the Democrats accuse Ron Johnson of being too radical onto the right. So you're going to see that argument. Um, You're going to see lots of national uh, media attention here. You're going to see uh, reports in all of the major national newspapers Uh, focusing on this race, because again, it has such national ramifications for the future of policy and politics in the United States of America.
0: Just to stay with this race too. So Ron Johnson been in office for more than 10 years now, you know, Mandela Barnes, half his age, half of Ron Johnson's age, you know, does Mandela Barnes, I mean, I don't know, does he stand a chance? It's just one of those races where I'm not sure which way maybe the state would go.
2: Yeah. And I think that there's a lot of question about that as far as um, uh, as far as what's going to happen here, I, I can just tell you that it, it, it is going to be a very close, uh, potentially uh, potential toss-up. Um, when we look at some of the national political analysts who, who their job is to uh, to look at the the demographics, voting histories, uh, to look at you know just everything that's going on in the state to figure out okay where are these uh, states potentially going to go in, in the election this fall. Um, according to the Cook Political Report, they're one of the big sort of analysts of of races and predictors of races. Um, They're listing Wisconsin right now as a toss up. Um, There's others that are predicting that, you know, it could be a slight advantage for Senator Ron Johnson. Um, But I think at the end of the day, I think it is fair to, you know, go along with the Cook Political Report and say, you know, no matter what, if you're Republican or Democrat, this is gonna be a really close race. It's gonna be all hands on decks. For, uh, for both of the campaigns, um, and I think it's it's fair to say with the po- Cook Political Report that yeah, Wisconsin is going to be a toss-up um, this this fall.
1: Well, and in so many of these elections, it often turns on just enthusiasm who, and, and and there's more than one race on the ballot that's going to be of great interest in Wisconsin. Obviously, governor is another big one. And, and you're going to have Tony Evers squaring off against a name we wouldn't have even probably recognized perhaps maybe six months ago, certainly wouldn't have been a big name, Tim Michaels, uh, who wins the nomination for the Republicans in Wisconsin. So you've now got Evers against Michaels. Obviously, that's going to draw people to the polls on its own. So Depending on who draws more in that race, it could affect the Senate race and vice versa. And that's always true in these sorts of things. But when I bring up Tim Michaels, what stands out to me is when we were doing our election coverage in April and we were looking at the mayor's race in Milwaukee, he was just getting into this race that Rebecca Clayfish for a long time I think expected she was sort of the heir apparent. To. She was going to be the Republican nominee, and then of course, uh, but before Tim Michaels even got involved, you ended up with Kevin Nicholson coming in, and as Mordecai Lee put it Tuesday night, kind of throwing her off balance. Then Michaels comes in and throws the knockout punch. But Tim Michaels had a really big backer. The elephant in the room in all of this is President Donald Trump. What is his influence? in that race and, and sort of what kind of a shadow is he casting right now over everything that's going on here in Wisconsin? Right. That that was huge
2: test case on Tuesday as far as the role the former president was going to play in the future of the Republican Party, right? We've got 2024 right around the corner. Uh, as soon as we're done voting for Senate, then get ready because it's going to be time to get focused on <laughs> the 2024 presidential election. And big questions about the future of the Republican Party is, it, is are they going to go with are they going to nominate Donald Trump in Milwaukee in 2024? Or is it going to be somebody like uh, Florida's Governor DeSantis? And that's the big question about the future uh, of the Republican Party right now and the sway that Donald Trump still has on the party. I can tell you that all of the three candidates that you saw on your ballot, uh, the, main, the main Republican candidates uh, for, for governor, they all went down to Mar-a-Lago to visit with the former president, to talk with him in the hopes of winning his endorsement. It was seen as a coveted Thing to win because there is a huge uh, number of Republicans who who do look to the former president uh, for guidance on who's going to be the best candidate. Who's going to you know they they say America first. Uh, 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 who's going to be the America first candidate here? Uh, and and even when we looked at that Emerson poll, that Emerson College poll came out on Saturday, and they asked Wisconsin Republicans, uh, does Donald Trump's endorsement does it lead you to vote for the candidate or against the candidate? of Wisconsin Republicans said they were more likely to support a candidate that Trump backs. And for 11%, they said it would backfire and they would actually be less likely to vote for the person that uh, that the former president endorses. So you see that kind of some people, it's going to help them vote for the candidate. Some it's going to turn them against that. That's what a former governor, Scott Walker, called the reverse Trump effect. But at the end of the day, when we look nationwide in 2022 for these primaries, Former President Donald Trump has uh, endorsed a number of candidates, and according to Ballotpedia, which is this website online that tracks a lot of different things regarding elections, they found that uh, Donald Trump's success rate uh, in the primaries in 2022, 93%, that means 93% of the candidates that he backed went on to win their primaries. Now, of course, a couple caveats here. One is that some of these races were uncontested. Some of these races were where the, the person he was endorsing was a clear front runner with you know, no possibility of the other guy was going to win. And some of these races, there, there was nobody running again. So it was uncontested. So the person that he uh, endorsed was going to win. But still, 93% in looking at that Emerson poll, we see, yes, Donald Trump has a big sway over Wisconsin Republicans as well as nationwide. And uh, we saw some of that at play. Uh, on Tuesday where the Trump endorsed candidates did very well. I I will say Adam Steen, this guy down in the 63rd assembly district that was challenging the giant of the assembly, Robin Voss, Speaker Robin Voss, he did very well, and he was this person that I think a lot of people had never heard of before Trump's endorsement, and it was really neck and neck, and, and, and Speaker Voss almost lost his race on Tuesday. And then he also, the former president, also endorsed Tim Michaels, and at the end of the day, Tim Michaels was able to seal the deal across the state. Originally, I mean, the conventional wisdom was that Rebecca Clayfish was going to dominate the suburbs. She was going to do well in what we call the Wow County, so Waukesha, Ozaki, Washington. She was going to dominate Milwaukee County, Racine, Kenosha. Sort of southeast Wisconsin, we thought that she was going to do overwhelmingly strong. Um, and we thought that Tim Michaels was going to do better in the rural parts, uh, the outs, uh, the outstate, what's called outstate, but pretty much the other parts of the state he was going to do very well in. Um, at the end of the day, Rebecca Clayfish did not get nearly as strong of numbers as she needed in southeast Wisconsin, so she, she got lost people.
1: Washington County.
2: She lost Washington County. Now, Washington County is, is, is moving more, more Trumpian, I would say. Uh, but she lost Washington, one of the three pivotal wow counties. But she she only got 50% in Waukesha. This is home base for, for the Walker-Clayfish administration. Remember, that's where they did very well to win statewide two elections and then their recalls as well. So they've been on the ballot a number of times. Um, and, and they won 1-1 very strongly in the the in, southeast Wisconsin. This time around, she really needed to bring that score up very, very largely in in Waukesha, which is the largest uh, number of Republican voters in the state. She only got 50%. We were, I mean, if she needed to be like 60, uh, Leah Vukmer uh, won Waukesha County, I think by more than 30 points. So uh, when she won her nomination in in 2018, Leah Vukmer for U.S. Senate. Um, So again, at the end of the day, Trump's endorsement potentially propelled Michaels now let's not let's not kid ourselves Tim Michaels had a ton more money and he put a lot of his own money he's a co-owner of the largest construction company in the state put a ton of his own money into this campaign and at the end of the day he was up on on television all of the time and uh, those ads and at the end they started attacking Rebecca Clayfish as well as groups supporting him and uh, at the end of the day he was able to pull off a win which was gonna we thought was gonna be neck and neck he won by five points.
0: So Milwaukee, was just announced that they'll host the Republican National Convention in 2024. Do you think that has any sort of bearing on maybe what would happen or maybe how people might vote or be swayed in November of this year?
2: Well, I I don't know how, how much it's going to play into people's minds this this November, other than a lot of the preparations that will be taking place in preparation. Now, it will be, yeah, it will be two years of preparations, but a lot of the major observable Enterprises that you'll see where people are building out their locations to host massive crowds. We're expecting 45,000 people, 200 million dollars flooding the region in 2024. A lot of that's going to be taking place probably after the this fall election. Um, So I'm not sure how much it's going to impact people. I think when we when when you look at when you ask people what are the most important issues right now, uh, I think they say the economy, which includes inflation and taxes and things like that. Uh, as the number one issue, then it's crime, and then you know maybe down uh, a little bit later is is the abortion issue. So when you ask people what's the most important issue, it's the economy right now. So I think there's so many issues that are playing out in the state of Wisconsin right now that I think are going to be hot button issues for people to be voting on in November. Um, and and so I'm not sure exactly how much the RNC 2024 is going to impact people this fall, but definitely it could be something that we'll be talking about in 2024. Uh, where where there's all this attention uh, on Milwaukee, on Wisconsin, and Republicans flooding the area with themselves, uh, which potentially could uh, you know give them some slight uh, advantage with maybe some voters if if they if they're able to share their message with them. Um, of course, not. You know, hosting a convention in a city doesn't mean you're going to win the state. Just ask Hillary Clinton. She had her convention in, in Pennsylvania, lost that con- lost that state to to Donald Trump in 2016. So hosting a convention in a state doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. But in a state like Wisconsin, where elections are decided by 20,000 votes, the last two presidential elections decided by 20,000 votes. Every single thing that you can do to be on television with, you know, these stories, et cetera, being in a city, hosting your convention there could potentially be used to sway voters uh, in this key battleground state when you really only need to pick off 20,000 people to to potentially win the election. You know, I I often use sports analogies. My co-investigator, Amanda St.
1: Hilaire, would almost roll her eyes at this because I love my sports analogies. But I I think about... uh, You know, when when I'm watching football on a given weekend, if the Packers are off, what game do I care about? Most of the games, maybe I don't care that much, but if I see a close game, I stop and I watch. If it's in the fourth quarter and one team is down by a touchdown and they've got the ball, I'm interested because it's a close game. And you look at Wisconsin elections, they are so close. You talk about the 20,000-vote margin when millions of people are voting. I do wonder when we look at the primary and the turnout that we just saw, And then we look at the turnouts we've had in recent general elections. If it's not a function of the fact that these races are always so close and people feel in Wisconsin like their vote really does count in some ways, you can look at the negative and people say it's a sign of divided government. It's a sign of a very sort of divisive body politic. And on the other hand, people are engaged. It seems to me like these are close games and everybody knows I can affect the outcome uh, or at the very least, I'm interested in watching this right down to the wire.
2: Oh yeah, uh exactly. And people's vote really does count. I mean, if you sit it out, like like some people I mean, when you sat, sit out uh, an election, you you really potentially could uh your person could could lose that that way. I mean, these every vote really does count. Uh and, and again, you you'd mentioned the turnout in the primaries and how we we had seen the highest turnout uh in 40 years. Um and, and at the end of the day, I think that, you know, you asked earlier, what it, what impact does that have that high turnout? I think you know potentially that that did help Tim Michaels in this race. I mean Tim Michaels presented himself as the outsider, as sort of the guy that hasn't been involved in politics. Now yeah, he did run in 2004 for the US Senate seat which he lost. But um he wasn't in he wasn't in politics. He wasn't an elected official like Rebecca Clayfish who was Lieutenant Governor for 8 8 years. Um so you know people who maybe always had voted in the past, maybe they were more inclined to to pull uh, to to vote again for Rebecca Clayfish but when you see so many new people turning out to vote maybe a lot of those new people ended up voting uh, for for the new guy for the outsider for for the Tim Michaels candidate um if turnout was low that probably would have been a better sign for Clayfish with higher turnout maybe a better sign for Michaels and at the end of the day 693,000 Republican votes cast for gov in the governor's race close to 700,000 and uh, Tim Michaels was able to win by 5%. I think a lot of that is these new voters that came in who uh, maybe potentially went for, for the person they saw as an outsider.
1: As legendary Brewers broadcaster Bob eucher would say, the stage is set for the ninth inning and uh, both sides have the top of the order coming up. So we'll see what happens in November. And that is as good as time as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more casual and have a little fun by answering a question for which we have not prepared. And uh, already on the line to ask us that question is Open Records executive producer, Sarah Smith. What do you have, Sarah?
0: Hello, caller one. Um, Okay, so today's question, um, much to Jason's chagrin, is not Is it music? No. When I knew you were coming. No, I'm just kidding. Um, No, this question was prepped before. Um, Okay. Um, It's a favorite summertime treat, popsicles. So my question to you is when you open up a popsicle, how do you eat it? Do you lick it? Do you bite or chomp it? Or do you scrape it with your teeth to make almost like a shaved popsicle, which (laughs) gives me the chills.
2: Oh, Um, man. So one, I get right you, into it. I chomp down like I—I I mean, I—I'm I, yeah. ready to just eat that whole thing. And right. it's kind of funny because my wife, my wife thinks that's hilarious. Especially like when I eat ice cream, I just—I am eating, I am I chewing, yes, I am being right <laughs> yes. into that into that meal. It's—I want to eat it, and and she thinks that's funny. Like, why don't you look at it? Lasts longer. I'm like because I want to eat it. It's ice cream. So yeah, with with the popsicle, I am going to chomp right into it. Um, I don't know if you'd consider it uh, a dine I don't know. Just I just chomp into it. I just love it. Yep, that's how I eat it.
1: I can't remember the last time I actually had a Popsicle, like a straight-up just Popsicle. Like, you know, yeah. for, like the ice cream man coming around the block and you get a bomb pop or something. I, I just can't remember. But, I mean, I remember them well. I've had plenty of them. And I think I'm probably... Uh, I start off trying to just kind of lick and keep up with the dripping juices because it's summer and now now mm-hmm. you've got red and blue falling on your hands and your jeans or whatever it is. And you try to keep up. Um, I think after a while I, I just lose patience with it and go. It's kinda of like the, the Tootsie Pop commercials, you know how many yeah, licks does it take to get the to center. You go on a
2: one, a two, three <laughs> <laughs>
1: With ice cream, I think what's changed the game there is the fact that so many ice creams that I like have like chunks of something in it. Like, you so know, you like a. Chew, yeah. yeah, there's like fudge brownie inside or something else. And I'm like, well, I want to bite into that because I want the brownie. So I can't just. They've given you, you no choice. And, yeah. <laughs> right. You've set me up in this way. Um, no, so I think that's probably. I just don't have the patience. I would love to think I had the time and patience to sit on my front porch. And swing gently, and uh, you know, lick a, 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 a you know tootsie pop or a popsicle or whatever it is all the way down. But no, I just can't do that.
0: I don't know the time either. I'm very much a chomp. Now, Jason, okay, because you are a biter, a chomper. Yeah. How do you eat your string cheese or a Kit Kat?
2: Yeah, like- yeah. Okay, so string. And it, the fun- the funny thing I think about both of these questions about the popsicle and the string cheese. I think the underlying assumption is that I have kids. <laughs> do, do 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 most do most well, but adults. I, no, but have I'm kids? just saying,
0: like string cheese. I don't mess around. I, I don't pull it by the string. Kit Kats. I don't break apart. I just eat it. It sounds so. I'm a sociopath, but like that's just. I don't have time, so I just bite it.
2: <laughs> yeah, but like I, I just I, I what I'm saying about the string cheese is like I don't remember ever having string cheese in the fridge unless I was either a child myself or have kids in the home, which I do. Uh, and long story short is yes, I do. That's a great snack for me. I, I open it up and just, you know, Sorry. three bites, one, a two, a three, and I'm done. I like to, I
1: like to peel the string cheese. It makes me feel like the string cheese is lasting longer.
0: Okay. yeah. yeah. Because if
1: you're just having like a piece of string cheese as like a little, you know, mid afternoon snack or something, Nap. and I don't, and if I just take a few bites and it's gone, it's like, I, so I, you I'm, you're trying to, you know, make it last. So I like to peel the, peel the layers off. And, and by the way, I don't have any young kids in the house anymore, by the way, but we still have string cheese. I oh, know. nice.
2: OK, it, OK. Well, there there you go. So my assumption was wrong. Uh, but the assumption and the name of it is string cheese, which means it, you know, properly by definition, it is supposed to be pulled string. But I don't follow the definition. I just chomped it right away.
1: Sarah, you never... Never cease to amaze anytime me anytime I can get Jason to do the Tootsie Roll. We got the voice in everything, that was fantastic. Well, uh, Jason, I, I want to, by the way, just let everyone know that we Jason is, is not just uh, a political reporter extraordinaire, but he's a guy who, even on his day off, sits down to record open record with us because there is no day off for the political reporter. Jason, thanks for taking the time to join us in open record. Thanks
2: for having me, I appreciate it very much.
1: If you have a topic you would like us to discuss here on the podcast or an issue you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox6investigators at fox.com. Sarah, thanks for hanging out with us as well. Hey. As always, thank you to the people who make this podcast possible, like executive producer Sarah Smith, producer Pete, and our editor Dave Majuda. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't done that already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson.